as students leave my classroom, I always let them hear these words. I always say, education is valuable, but it's execution that's priceless. Translation, knowledge ain't power. Only applied knowledge is power. Knowing what the right thing to do and actually doing the right thing are two totally different things. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Danny Brussel. Affectionately known as Jim Carrey with a PhD, Mr. Danny Brussel is an internationally acclaimed speaker and best-selling author of 15 books, including Read, Lead, and Succeed, and the reading makeover based on his popular TEDx talks. He's the founder of the world's top reading engagement system for struggling and reluctant readers. Read better in 67steps.com. Welcome, Danny. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. I really love your podcast. You're having uh, an enormous impact on a lot of people. Well, thank you. I enjoy your message, too. So this is going to be a fun conversation and uh, right up our alley of ways that we can help other people for sure. But before we get into any of that, can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? I'm not that interesting of a person, Rebecca, <laughs> but uh, I, I surround myself with lots of interesting people. I, I'm uh, happily married. I'm a proud father of three. I've got... Uh, uh, one in high school, one in middle school, and one in elementary school. Um, I, I love being around them when I am around them. I'm actually on the road over 100 days a year speaking around the world. Wow. Uh, and so when I'm, I am home, it's uh, my time is split bet- between sunny Southern California and snowy Colorado. Um, I'm a passionate reader. I love to hike. I love to learn. Uh, and I'm an avid traveler. Um, I'm a faculty advisor for Cal State Teach, which is a great job because I get to uh, observe teachers in their classrooms and give them all kinds of great uh, feedback about everything that they're doing uh, wonderfully and uh, areas where they can improve. Uh, I'm a motivational speaker in education and business. Um, my mission is to bring joy back in education. That's why I love your uh, your podcast so much. Uh, I mentioned earlier to you, and I'm going to tell your entire audience, if it was up to me, you would be the secretary of education. I'm <laughs> nodding amen all the time to uh, everything you're saying. You always bring on really fascinating guests. Uh, and really, my biggest passion right now, Rebecca, is I, uh, I'm the co-founder of a program called Read better in 67steps.com, and we can talk about that during the uh, broadcast. That's awesome. Well, and as you know, <laughs> listening to the podcast, I'd love to always hear the background information of what led you to your life's mission and message. You know, as I've been studying you, I I found out that you were a former teacher yourself, but I'd love to hear how you kind of went from teaching to what you're doing now. Do you want to give us some background? It's kind of funny, Rebecca. I grew up hating reading. Uh, my father was a public librarian, and I always hated public libraries. I always thought that they smelled funny, the furniture was uncomfortable, there was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always, <laughs> there's always some freak that thinks he's a vampire hanging out by the bookshelves. I always thought they were the freakiest places. Uh, <laughs> uh, I always share with people, my mom and I used to read this book before I went to bed that started out Once Upon a Time, which sounds fairly straightforward, but I never saw the O, because the O was made out of gold, it was in a box, and it had all these vines around it. And so my mom would say, okay, Danny, read to me. And I'd go, once upon a time. <laughs> and she's like, no, Danny, that word says once, say once. And I'd say once. She's like, again. So I'd look at it, I'd say, once upon a time. She's like, no, Danny, that word says once, say once, twice. So I'd go, once, once, she's like, again. Now I'm getting more nervous, kind of looking around. I'd go, once upon a time, She's and my mom would go crazy. She'd be like, you know what? You never learn anything. They're going to put you in special ed. <laughs> I was crying before I went to bed. And uh, one day my buddy came over to play, 
And for some reason, I took out this book. I guess I wanted to impress him with my reading skills. And I say, once upon a time. And he looks at me. He's like, you nincompoop. You see that big box with the gold O with the vines around it? That's an O, silly. That word says once. And I looked at it with new eyes. And I read, once upon a time. And I'll tell you, Rebecca, why I always share that story with with teachers and parents is sometimes we try 38 strategies with a kid and we're ignoring one of the single greatest resources at our disposal, other kids. I mean, I've learned that kids and adults think differently. I've known that ever since kindergarten. When I was in kindergarten, Sister Rosanna asked us all to raise our hands if we wanted to go to heaven. And uh, all of us raised our hands except for Hector. And she looked at Hector and she said, you don't want to go to heaven, Hector? And he looked at her and he said, oh, I thought you were talking about today. He's <laughs> He's just looking at her question from a totally different point of view. And so uh, it's, it's funny, uh, the way I entered education, I was actually a journalist. I had a great job. I, I uh, worked for a, a, an association where I got to meet every editor of every major newspaper in America. They all offered me jobs. And I had this great job offer for one major daily newspaper to do the crime beat for $16,500 a year. Meanwhile, a friend suggested I apply for this teaching position in inner city Los Angeles for $25,000 a year. And so I can always tell people I became an educator for the noblest of reasons, for the high pay. (laughs) Uh, I, I absolutely fell in love with teaching. I always had a captive audience. But what what shaped me more than anything, Rebecca, was um, uh, I, I, I grew up, uh, I went to private school and I went to public school and I was blessed, I realized. I always had access to lots of great materials and I always had uh, a lot of support from uh, adults. And in the schools where I worked, uh, there was just a complete lack of materials. Uh, there was a lot of negative uh, reinforcement, just depressing places. It really ticked me off. And so uh, uh, while I was teaching, one of the things I did is I created my own nonprofit that created school libraries in my school district. And then I met uh, a 12-year-old kid from another part of Los Angeles who was doing basically what I was doing, but he was doing it better. And so I basically said, hey, here's my Rolodex. How can I help you, Brandon? And so uh, his mom put me on their board of directors. I wound up becoming the chairman of the board of directors. And uh, that nonprofit helped uh, create classroom libraries. We donated over three million books. We had over a quarter of a million student volunteers. Um, It really got me into the nonprofit world. So then I worked with another nonprofit that built school libraries throughout the Los Angeles area. And they they brought me in to train parents to work one on one with struggling readers for an hour a week for six months. And so I did one three hour training with these parents, Rebecca, and the data showed us that in six months, getting these parents to read one on one with their kids for an hour a week, we were able to boost the kids reading levels by almost three grade levels. And that taught something really important, Rebecca. That wasn't me because there's no way that I can have that kind of impact just with a three hour training. It showed me the importance of the the one on one relationship between the parent and the kid. And so that's really what helped guide me into what I'm doing now, which is uh, a program called Read Better in 67 Steps dot com, where basically I parents will receive a video from me once a day for 67 consecutive days. It's about a five to seven minute video showing them a way to get their kid excited about reading. I mean, I think schools do a decent job, Rebecca, of teaching kids how to read. But I always ask teachers, well, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? My job is to teach kids the why to read. And that's what uh, I'm very passionate about. And I'm sorry, I always tend to uh, give 10 minute answers to uh, 10 second questions. (laughs) No, that's just fine. That's great. I mean, that's a great intro to kind of what you're doing now. I I always think it's interesting. First of all, I love the fact that you provide application for learning because I think that that's the problem sometimes in education is like, we don't know why we're doing something. So why learn it for sure? But I think it's 
interesting how, you know, you hated libraries growing up because of your uh, experience as a child, <laughs> your own parent of working in the library. And then you end up basically kind of doing that again. One of my friends says, you know, look at the highs and lows of your life and you can find your message and your mission. And that totally rings true with you. So I think that's fantastic. Um, I'd love to hear like the challenges that you've had along the way as you've created this, you know, the 67 steps to, to better learning and kind of what challenges you had and what you learned from those? Well, since I, I speak all around the world, Rebecca, so you have to bear with me because I always tell stories. And so uh, I, I, I like to tell happy stories, but I also tell you some stories that uh, will tug at your heartstrings. I, um, I was teaching second grade uh, in the inner city and uh, I was having a tough time. My kids, uh, we were having some struggles. Uh, uh, I didn't like the mandated curriculum. Uh, we didn't have the re proper resources, uh, but I love my students. A lot of the students came from some pretty negative home environments. Uh, but the first year I was teaching elementary school for Christmas, I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get all the kids. I, I, I got all the kids, their own box of dominoes. I bought them and I, I gift wrapped every uh, box of dominoes and I put a candy cane on each uh, gift and I figured, okay, this is great because they're dominoes. There's going to be a math objective. And so I had the kids open them up and of course the kids are immediately throwing them at one another. They're eating the dominoes. They're doing everything <laughs> they're not supposed to do. And I had this, this one little boy, Gonzalo, and he refused to open up his present. And I said, Gonzalo, why don't you open up your present? And he looked at me and he said, well, this year I want something under the Christmas tree. Oh, wow. And it, it just killed me. It was a knife through my heart. It, it showed me that all of us come from totally different backgrounds. And unless you know everything about a person, you really don't know anything about a person. And so Gonzalo was the person that really taught me how to have empathy for human beings. I think we need a lot more empathy. Uh, America would especially be better served if people would uh, stop uh, being so disagreeable with one another and uh, learning how to be able to disagree uh, in, a, in a much more respectful fashion. So Gonzalo taught me empathy. Um, my favorite student of all time, I, I did teach in Houston, Texas for a little while. I taught third grade and um, I had a little boy named Howard. And Howard was the son of a Baptist minister. And Howard's father spoke like Martin Luther King Jr., which meant Howard spoke like Martin Luther King Jr. And so <laughs> one day I was reading a book to the kids called Stuart Little by a guy named E.B. White. And uh, after I read a chapter to the kids, I always had the kids applaud the author. So the kids are all applauding one day and Deshaun starts giggling and he says, uh, I like I like Stuart because he's little. And Howard, he stands up in front of the class. He's like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? We all be little. We all be little. But we be big someday like Mr. B. And he pointed at me, Rebecca, and I realized this child could lead a revolt. And <laughs> Howard was the reason I became a teacher. I loved his unbridled enthusiasm. It's what got me out of bed every single morning. And I worried to death for Howard. Because next year I knew he was getting Miss Hampton. And Miss Hampton was going to misinterpret his enthusiasm as a discipline problem. Oh. Because Miss Hampton is a direct descendant of Darth Vader. And so <laughs> Howard taught me never to give a kid an answer because you're not doing him any favors. Give him a strategy because sooner or later all of us are going to have a Miss Hampton to deal with. I think it's really important that we prepare kids for those situations. And then finally, and this is probably more, most applicable to, uh, it's, it's kind of cool, the Read Better in 67 Steps program. Uh, my business partner, he's from Argentina, and uh, we've worked together for two years. And I originally had created the program uh, for the homeschool market because uh, uh, I absolutely love working with homeschool parents, just giving them uh, tips, some useful tips that they can use with their kids. And so we were all about we were all set to to launch it with the homeschool market. And then the guy that was editing the videos for us was in Costa Rica. And he mentioned to my business partner, he said, oh, uh, my son really likes the videos that Danny shoots. And my business partner's like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, uh, my son, he's been watching as I edit the videos and he thinks Danny's funny. He's been actually teaching his buddies everything that Danny talks about. <laughs> and, and my business partner's like, wait a sec. The videos are for the parents, not the kids. 
And uh, this guy's name is Jose. Jose says, yeah, but my son, he watches Danny. He thinks he's funny. He's been using it all. And then all of a sudden, Nestor, my business partner, says, wait a second. Does your son speak English? He's like, no, he only speaks Spanish, but he get he figures out what Danny's talking about. And so uh, what I love about my business partner, Nestor, is he then had all the videos translated so we could launch it into the Latin American market. And right before we were supposed to launch in Latin America – all of a sudden, an old business associate of his called up from India and started uh, trying to sell him some program he had in India. And uh, Nestor, he just cracked me up. He totally turned it around on the guy, sold him read better in 67steps.com. <laughs> and within an hour, the guy had quit his other job. He opened up an office for us in Chennai. We had 24 uh, salespeople in India. I went to India at the beginning of the year and spoke for, for over a month uh, uh, training Indian uh, kids how to get excited about reading. So it's been a, yeah. just a, an amazing journey. And so uh, one of the kids that uh, went through readbetterin67steps.com was a kid named Michael. Uh, this kid was in um, uh, the Valley of Los Angeles. And so Michael... He used the program and in just over the program only takes 67 days. And he went from being a, a mediocre reader in his class to now he's the top reader in his class. Wow. His teacher wondered what was going on. Uh, but here's what was amazing. Michael's mother, she played the videos every day and she doesn't speak a word of English. And Michael was the Michael's actually kind of translated for his mother what we're talking about in the videos and Michael's like my best poster child. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, the, the videos work. Even if your parent doesn't speak any English, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's been a really, uh, and it's kind of, I I've learned this as a teacher. Uh, uh, sometimes I think something's going to work and it doesn't. And other times something I had no idea is going to work, works really well. And so I just kind of roll with the punches. Uh, every single year I've had students that have different types of uh, learning styles and what works for this kid might not work for another kid. And that's why I'm always a big believer in giving people lots of weapons of mass instruction <laughs> teaching arsenal because you never know uh, what's going to work with a kid. And so I'd rather over deliver than just provide a certain uh, this is the problem. This is why I, I, I'm a big believer in homeschooling, because I, I what I love about homeschooling is it allows people to teach to the strengths of their child. And I wish that our education system would really do that. We do what's convenient. We don't really do what's the best for children. And uh, again, that's what I love about your podcast, Rebecca, is you're really addressing that all the time. And more people have to hear that. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fun. I mean, it's fun to hear how the kids are teaching you how to use your product, too. You know, Absolutely. that you, yeah, that you're taking that, you know, some of the, the ways that you're seeing these kids learn and and crafting it to that message just that much better. I love that. So and like with your the platform with the struggling uh, and reluctant readers that you have read better in 67 steps.com. You know, you kind of mentioned that the the videos are funny, that there's 67 of them, whatever, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, like how that works and I mean, it sounds like the kids are loving it, but it was meant for the parents. I mean, kind of clarify what that learning platform looks like. So, people always ask why is it why is it called read better in 67 steps.com? So the the two numbers I want your audience to hear uh, I want them to hear this very, this is very important. These two numbers, 67 and 20. And so the number 67, why is the program 67 days? So a lot of people will tell you it takes 21 days to change a habit. A lot of people that I respect and admire, a lot of my, my idols will say, Oh, you can do that. You can change this habit in 21 days. And to those people, I always say, please show me the research on that. Uh, it doesn't exist. I know exactly where the number comes from. It's actually from a wonderful book called Psycho Cybernetics. It was written in 1960 by a, a guy named Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And Dr. Maltz was a plastic surgeon. And in the preface of that book, he said he noticed that it took most of his uh, uh, plastic surgeon surgery patients about 21 days to get used to their new face. Well, a lot of self-help gurus took that number and started running with it. Uh, and it's based on just observation. It has nothing to do with research. And and I think it's a dangerous uh, precedent when people get throw out numbers without any research. Because let's say, Rebecca, you want to you um, lose weight in 21 days. And you follow the diet religiously. 
But on day 22, you fall back to your bad habits. Well, you blame yourself. And that's not right because it had nothing to do with you. You did everything you were supposed to. That's a phony number, that 21. So uh, when I do presentations, I always say uh, Harvard did a study because it always sounds better if uh, you say Harvard did the study. <laughs> uh, Harvard did a study in 2009. It was actually done uh, in Oxford uh, in England. So that's even better. Uh, if you say it's a British study, it's even more prestigious. <laughs> that's so, for sure. So uh, there was a study done in 2009 in Britain on habit formation, and they found it took anywhere from 18 to 254 days to change a habit, and the average was 66. Well, I don't like the number 66, so I'm throwing in an extra day. <laughs> uh, and what happened was it depends on the type of habit you're trying to change. So if you want to drink a glass of water before dinner every night, well, maybe that takes you 18 days to make that into a habit. But if you want to quit smoking – that's going to take you 254 days. Um, I found then in this program that most kids by uh, by the 40th day of the program, I guarantee you the kid uh, is reading more. They're reading better and they've really started to love reading. And that's my that's what's important to me. The second number I was going to give you is 20. And that's important for parents to understand because Harvard just studied. Uh, this was interesting. They were looking at test scores of students around the world and they wanted to look at commonalities. What were things that the kids did outside of school? And they stumbled upon something that really was amazing to them. So they looked at uh, the kids in the 20th percentile, the bottom kids in the class. They looked at how much time they spent reading outside of school. And they found that the average was less than a minute a day. And that's not surprising. That's why they're at the class. Okay. But then they looked at the kids in the middle of the class, the 70th percentile, they looked at how much time they spent reading outside of school, and they found the average was 9.6 minutes. And this is the point when I'm doing a training with parents where the room gets really quiet, and the first hand raises, and a parent asks me, wait a second, you're telling me if I can get my kid to read 10 minutes a day at home, I can take him from an F to a C? And my response is, that's exactly what I'm saying. The research supports this. But that's not what is even more amazing. The kids at the very top of the class, the 90th percentile, how much time do they spend reading outside of school? Is it three hours a day? No. Is it one hour a day? No. Researchers found that the average was less than 21 minutes a day. And so my entire pitch to parents is, can we find 20 minutes a day to get your kid reading for fun to take them from the bottom of the class to the top of the class? And so this is what I'm very passionate about. And the whole program is me showing you different ways to find those 20 minutes. So, for example, I'll tell people, hey, the average American spends 15 minutes a day on the toilet. Why don't you put some books next to the toilet so you can read? Um, I have a feeling that television is here to stay. So why don't you turn the closed captioning on the TV while the kid's watching TV? Um, when you're going out on errands in your car, you know, put a book on tape on so the kid's listening to a book on tape. So these are just a few. And so every day I'm giving you little ideas on this anything that any parent, no matter what their educational background, can easily implement. And I, I'm very passionate about this. And uh, I, what I love is we're creating an entire generation of kids who love reading. The more you get a kid to love reading, the more likely they are to read. And the more they read, the better they get. It's basically um, uh, it's the Matthew effect. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Yeah. The less reading you do, the worse you get. The more reading you do, the better you get. So my job is to get kids to do it more. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing to me, I think, um, you know, as far as being a good speller, being a person who can write well, being somebody who can relate well with others or to have some empathy that also takes on reading. Um, that's one thing I've noticed about uh, some of the kids, uh, you know, I've worked with with my schooling or with my own children, but then others is that the kids who are avid readers do well in so many other places. And that's just the sad part, like you said, about our society. And then we have the smartphones. We have television, but then we have smartphones. And so, I mean, there's just so many distractions to and 20 minutes, like you said, is not long. I love how you just give ideas. And I love the fact that you're including the families into it. Um, one of the videos that I watched of you, you really talked about that, how parents really need to lead the charge. You know, if we want our children doing better, we need to be doing better, too. Is, do you have any kind of advice? I mean, other than was is that part of your platform too of suggestions that you tell parents well there's two things rebecca on that first of all um 
my pastor used to say something which I always loved. He said, parents, you have the greatest home field advantage on the history of the planet. You could be the worst parent ever, but your kid doesn't know it. To them, your mom or dad. And so that's the importance of the parent. At the very end of the program, one of the videos I have, because not only are they getting daily videos, they get a weekly motivational video from me. And the, at the very end of the program, I, I have a video where I tell parents, I'm like, okay, so you've spent 67 consecutive days getting your kid to read for 20 minutes a day. And I guarantee you, I know for a fact your kid's reading more, they're reading better, and they love reading compared to where they were 67 days ago. But here is the bonus that I never tell people about at the beginning. Here's the bonus. You just spent 20 minutes a day one-on-one -on -one with your kid. Who among us as an adult wouldn't have begged to have gotten 20 minutes of attention from a parent every single day. I just gave you the greatest gift of all. I gave you time with your child. I mean, um, I think it was Jesse Jackson of all people who once said, children don't need our presence. They need our presence. And I completely agree with that. Stop, uh, stop rewarding the kids with uh, gifts and give them the gift of your time. Oh, that's great. That's a great message. Well, before we hear more about your book, Read, Lead and Succeed, I'd love to to kind of go back and just summarize how you feel like your paradigm has changed over time and with experience, you know, when you're first teaching to now, you know, creating these programs that are helping kids read better. You know, um, there's a couple of things. Um, well, it, it's kind of interesting. I, you would probably agree with this, Rebecca, as a parent. Uh, when you become a parent, you kind of, uh, you want all the best for your kid. Oh, I want my kid to be a lawyer. Oh, I want my kid to be a doctor. And uh, maybe it's just my Christian background or whatever. But uh, once my kids were born, I just want my kids to be happy. I want them to be kind. I want them to be uh, good role models to others uh, is really important to mm -hmm. me. Um, as my students, whether it's my little ones or my older ones, I've actually taught all ages from preschool. I always say from preschoolers to rocket scientists because uh, I can get away with saying that because I used to teach English as a second language to engineering students at the University of Southern California. And whether it's my little ones or my older ones, uh, as students leave my classroom, I always let them hear these words. I always say, education is valuable, but it's execution that's priceless. Translation, knowledge ain't power. Only applied knowledge is power. Knowing what the right thing to do and actually doing the right thing are two totally different things. And so this has kind of been my evolution as a teacher where uh, uh, I just read a great book called Wonder by R.J. Palacio. And the whole theme of the book, the premise of the book is uh, to choose kind. Uh, I don't think you're ever going to regret being a kinder person. Uh, I really wish more people would uh, get off their car horns, uh, be a little bit kinder and open up the door for people. It's, it's simple things. We try to overcomplicate too many things in society. And I think just the simple gestures of kindness can take you very far. Yeah, definitely, for sure. I mean, I've heard that with uh, employers anymore. You know, they just want people who have some integrity, you know, who can be, like you said, kind and to work with others well. I mean, I, I think we're losing that a lot with our texting, you know, mobile type society that we don't get out and actually just speak with people and, mm -hmm. you know, have those conversations. So great advice for sure. Well, use social media in a, in a pretty rotten way. And I'm oh, like, yeah. I please say that to a person face to face what you just typed. It's it's ridiculous to me. And I always I always tell my own children, I say, you know, it it takes just as much effort to to say something nice as it does to say something rotten. So why don't you use your energy and say something nice? Yeah, for sure. So is that kind of how you feel like your paradigm has changed? And I don't want to go on without being sure I get that message is that maybe you've learned that just those value experiences we have is just even more critical than the education necessarily, you know, the facts yeah, I mean, and the numbers. And I, I guess I'm kind of uh, a little bit radical, Rebecca. I mean, the more I, I look at the and I, I, I'm not going to point fingers or blame anybody, but we have a, an education system which is designed based on the uh, the 1840s Russian farming calendar. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I don't understand why we're not, uh, you know, the, the jobs that our colleges are preparing our students for, those jobs don't exist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they won't. I mean, even if the job exists now, you know, by yeah, the well, time your child gets... Years. 
Yeah. I, 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 I'll just, I'm sorry, Rebecca, I always get off the subject, but 25 years ago, I remember teaching a class on Gopher. Do you remember Gopher? Gopher was the precursor to the internet. And I remember telling a class as they looked on, I said, with Gopher, you can download a document in under 45 minutes. (laughs) And everybody was all excited. And, and, you know, you had the printers where they had the holes on the paper on the side. And and I, I look at it. I mean, I went to college before I had a typewriter in college. Now there was no such thing as email and things like that. And the world is just changing so rapidly and, and people can either uh, figure out how to adapt and adjust or, or they can get left behind because yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Where education is going is that we need to teach our kids how to educate themselves. And th- that's so easy. I mean, YouTube's a perfect example of that, how to teach themselves because the technology is just moving so fast that, you know, giving them the answers isn't what they need. They need to understand how to find those answers for sure, you know, and, and to be able to be a person who's always learning so that they're not, you know, trying to great, you know, come back to that uh, make America great again kind of thing versus like, okay, Okay, the obviously our world has moved on and we need to learn how to, you know, move on with it type of thing. I don't want to get any any political things there, but uh, let's move on to your book, Read, Lead and Succeed. I'd love to hear maybe three talking points that you have about that particular book and, you know, who it was written for and what kind of messages you'll find there. Well, gosh, aren't you a dear? Thank you for the plug. <laughs> I appreciate that. Actually, uh, and to serve you and your audience, Rebecca, I'm going to make a, 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 an e-copy, a complimentary e-copy available to everybody in your audience. Uh, all they have to do is go to readleadandsucceed.com. They can download the book. Uh, that's my gift to you and your audience. Um, it's a book. I actually wrote it for a principal who didn't know how to engage his faculty. So I said, OK, I'll write you a book. And so uh, when you get the book, you'll notice every single week there's a concept, an inspirational quote an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also provide a children's picture book recommendation that you can read in five minutes that demonstrates the same concept. I think a lot of us overlook <laughs> children's books. I, I, I really do. I think uh, uh, there's a book that I've been reading to, uh, I actually read it to a, a corporate audience recently. Uh, it's a book called uh, One by Catherine Atoshi. Do you know this book, Rebecca? Actually, I don't. It's a wonderful book. So it's about the color blue uh, was was really happy being blue. He wasn't regal like purple or uh, 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 bright like yellow or adventurous like green. But overall, he liked being blue, except when red was around. Red was a hothead. Red would always say red is hot. Blue is not. (laughs) And it would always leave blue feeling a little blue. Uh, Yellow would come up to blue and say, oh, I think. I think blue is a very nice color, but yellow would never say that in front of red. And then green and purple also thought blue was great, but they also never defended blue in front of red. Uh, Well, one day one shows up and red goes, red is hot, blue is not. And one says, you can't talk that way to blue. And all of a sudden yellow says, yeah. You can't talk that way to blue and green and purple and the other colors say, yeah, you can't talk that way to blue. And now red starts to feel bad. And they're like, no, no, we don't want you to feel bad. We can all hang out together, but we're all going to be nice to one another. And then the last page says sometimes all it takes is one. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's neat. That's That's a kid's book. And I think it should be read by every member of Congress and the president of the United States. (laughs) People. And uh, it's it's really again, this isn't political. This is this is human values like you have to be kinder to one another. I I don't like negative language with people. I I think that uh, we're failing our kids. Uh, I actually hear kids talking a lot better to one another than I hear adults talking to one another. So that's uh, that's the kind of book. So in, in Read, Lead and Succeed, I mean, it's it's great bathroom reading. You can read the book in an hour. Uh, but it's it's just basic concepts like that. It's, it's kind of an homage to uh, Paul Harvey. I have one story in there about uh, the I, I, I can't remember which which one it is. But uh, the uh, the concept for the week is to pay attention. And uh, I think the quote is like the Thomas Edison quote, uh, you know, uh, some people miss opportunities because it's disguised as uh, a pair of overalls mm-hmm. and hard. 
Um, and the, the uh, anecdote I give is about a guy named Connie from from New Mexico who uh, he wanted to own a bank. And so he went to Texas to buy a bank. But he found that all the places in Texas, the banks were either too expensive or they were out of reach. So then he went to the tiny town of um, I think it was um, I think it's it's Cisco, Texas, I think. And uh, it was this tiny cow town gone crazy because all of a sudden there was a big oil boom. And the first bank he goes to turns out it's for sale at seventy five thousand dollars and he can afford it. And so he uh, he wires the owner who uh, who uh, is in Kansas City. He says, oh, I'll, I'll pay you the seventy five thousand for the bank. Well, the greedy owner realizes he has a buyer. And so he says, oh, it's not 75000 It's 80000 Well, Connie's just disgusted. And he says, no deal. And he goes across the street to the Mobley Hotel, which is packed. And all of a sudden, a guy tells him he can't stand in the lobby. And he's like, gosh, not only can I not get a bank, I can't even get a room at the hotel. And uh, the guy at the front desk says, oh, uh, oh, don't worry. These are all oil workers. We rent out the rooms uh, in eight hour shifts, three times a day. So they each have a chance to sleep. So the rooms are coming up. You'll be able to get a room here pretty soon. And Connie says, are you the owner? And the guy says, yeah, I could be out in the oil fields making real money. So Connie asks if he can look at the guy's books. The guy shows him the books. He offers him $50,000 for the hotel. And that was the day that Connie Hilton decided I'm not going to be a banker. I'm going to be a hotel guy. Wow. It's just one of those types of stories where, you know, Rebe- Rebecca, we're older now. We're adults. I pro- I'm going to guess that you're not doing exactly what you thought you were going to do when you were five years oh, old. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> There's no such thing as podcast back then. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the podcast didn't even exist. I mean, but isn't that pretty cool that now you don't have to have your own radio station to reach millions of people? I mean, that's pretty powerful. That's yeah. the... Uh, I mean, that's what that's where I get excited about technology. I say right now there's some poor farmer kid outside of Blackfoot, Idaho, (laughs) that uh, as long as that kid has a laptop and an Internet connection, he has the exact same access as the founders of Google. Yeah, that's for sure. I think it's funny growing up in rural Idaho. I mean, we were I had cousins down in California and we were literally, you know, six months to a year behind in everything. But now anymore, because of the Internet, we're right there, you know, with California, but we don't have to deal that's with their traffic or smog. <laughs> so or fires right now, for sure. But that's um, right. I'd love to hear maybe some feedback that you're receiving on this message. Um, you know, how is it helping people? with the book read lead and succeed well i i'm always blessed uh as a speaker it's really nice because i get i get uh people coming up to me after presentations and sending me emails uh and now i would actually ask your audience uh find somebody you think needs some encouragement and just write them a thank you card uh it goes a long way uh i had a woman uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago after a presentation she had tears in her eyes she said i've been teaching for 34 years I was about to quit, and you reminded me why I do it. Well, my goodness, is that you can't get uh, any better than that. Uh, I always tell audiences, I'm like, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. What I'm going to do is remind you of the things that most of us forget. It's it's the basics. You know, I try to tell people, take your job seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. Because you ain't all that, and neither am I. And if you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for one week, and those little ones will te- they'll they'll set you straight. I, I, I point to one of my little girls. I'm like, uh, Lashonda, question. She's like, Miss Bissell, are you, when are you going to trim your nose hair? <laughs> uh, this afternoon. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, Lashonda. I, I ain't all that. Uh, I I think we need a lot more laughter in the world. Uh, my wife, one of my favorite things about her is she doesn't watch the news. She only watches comedies and she's a much happier person. I think all of us would be a little bit happier. Uh, I guess the other feedback I get from people, I always say there's, uh, there's two types of people. There's Eeyores and there's Tiggers. Uh, I'm a Tigger. My wife is an Eeyore. I come home from work. I'm like, Hey honey, how was your day? (laughs) Thanks for noticing me. (laughs) Uh, very curious to see how our children turn out. I used to look at my colleagues. I'm like, why are my students so hyperactive? I'm like, it's because I'm hyperactive. <laughs> uh, when I was teaching fifth grade, one day I had the flu. So I showed up to school. I looked at my students. I said, students, Mr. Purcell has the flu today. For the love of God, please take it easy on me today. <laughs> and the rest of the day, the kids were quiet. 
they helped one another, they shared. And if that was not a miracle in and of itself, Rebecca, the fact that I had that flu bug for the next 150 school days was even more miraculous. <laughs> so uh, uh, everybody, you know, you got parents out there. It's not easy being a parent. You're always trying to compare yourself to other people. And um, we're all our tough, our own toughest critics. And again, um, the message I'd like to give to the parents, especially the homeschooling parents, is you're doing your best. As long as you're doing your best – you know, that's all that anyone can ever ask of you. And uh, whether you like it or not, your child idolizes you. And uh, if you mess up, fess up and move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's I'll end there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of great feedback. Um, you know, I love the idea that we can encourage other people um, kind of like what you you talked about, just remind them of things that they already knew, but they've just forgotten. I mean, I think that that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give people is just to instill in them the courage that they once had, for sure. Do you feel like maybe that's what you've learned from mentoring others? Or is there, or is there something else that you feel like uh, you want to share with our audience about, you know, how you've changed mentoring other people? Um, I, I think, uh, well, really what I've what I've learned, John Wooden, the, the UCLA basketball coach, he, he said something uh, once which meant a lot to me. He said, uh, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. <laughs> and uh, the more I work with kids, the more I realize how little I actually know. Uh, I, I've learned to learn from everybody. Before I got married, Rebecca, I used to have a speeding problem. And I used to go to traffic school just about every single weekend. And I have always loved traffic school because you get to meet really interesting people in traffic school. So one day, I'm at uh, it's a Saturday, I'm at traffic school. And the guy on my right had just done 20 years in the state penitentiary. He had uh, tattoos everywhere, little mustache, shaved head, baggy shirt, baggy pants. Uh, and the guy on my left was a brain surgeon. He was like six foot three. He was wearing a three-piece suit, looked just like Stone Phillips. And I'm ashamed to say this, but... I made some judgments about both of these individuals at the beginning of the day, and that was that was my mistake because by the end of the day, I thought the ex-con was the coolest guy I'd ever met in my life. You know, uh, uh, he's I'd be like, uh, he, he's like, oh, Danny, man, that ticket you got—that's California Criminal Code 50C3, man. You 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 go to this judge, you'll get off on that. I mean, I was writing notes like crazy <laughs> every long book, but that's not what made me love him. What made me love him was there was one point in the class where the teacher made us each stand up and we had to share with the group our biggest pet peeve about other drivers. And so some people would stand up and say, uh, I hate it when people change lanes without signaling. And some people would stand up and say, I hate it when people don't come to a complete stop at a stop sign. And then she gets the ex-con and he doesn't stand. He's just like, nothing, man. And the teacher, she, she won't accept that. She challenges him. No, sir, please stand up, share with the group what annoys you about other drivers. And he just leaned back in his chair. He's like, nothing, man. Ain't nothing nobody else does that I haven't done before. When he said that, I'm like, that, I think, is the wisest statement I've yeah. ever heard a human being make. I love how all of us love to judge others without looking in the mirror. I mean, you know, they say when you're pointing at a person, there's one finger pointed at that person, three po- three fingers pointed right back at you. I love it how holier than thou all of us are. We're like, oh, I can't. I can't vote for that person. That person lied. I'm like, wow, really? Because <laughs> I've never lied. I'm, I, I don't know how anybody runs for office. I, that's the one thing I always tell people about anybody that's running for office. They did something that you and I didn't do. They, they threw their hat in the ring. So you have to respect them for that. Mentoring others. Uh, the other thing I've learned, actually, uh, Rebecca, is how much we underestimate kids. I think kids are brilliant, and we don't pay enough attention to them. The two greatest questions I've ever been asked by uh, human beings – were asked by little kids. I had uh, Maria, five-year-old. She uh, she raises her hand one day. She's like, Mr. Bissell, where does it say Humpty Dumpty was an egg? And I laughed at her. Then I reread the, the nursery rhyme. I'm like, wait a sec. Nowhere in that nursery rhyme <laughs> does it say Humpty Dumpty's an egg. But there's always a picture of an egg. How did I miss that all those times? Tyrell, six-year-old boy, one day asked me, he's like, Miss Bissell, Miss Bissell, is uh, Curious George a monkey or an ape? And I laughed <laughs> until I reread the book. Have you read Curious George, yeah, Rebecca? Yeah. yeah. You, you can't be a parent if you haven't. Well, what does the man in the, in the yellow hat always call Curious George? He always calls him My Little Monkey. Great. Where's his tail? Oh. He, doesn't, 
He doesn't have one because Curious George ain't a monkey. He's a chimpanzee. I've read that book 3,000 times, and I never picked up on that. Tyrell got it the first time. That's why I always tell people if I'm ever murdered, I want a first grader on the scene, not my wife. <laughs> first grader would be like, he's approximately six feet tall, dark jacket, dark pants. My wife would be like, I don't know. I think he's this tall. I think he's white. I mean, we don't notice anything as adults. Kids notice everything. Oh, that's true. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm mentoring other people as much as they're mentoring me all the time. Uh, I've learned uh, to really stay curious, and uh, I don't know that much. That's great. Well, I, I'm going to move on to the next question. I love to hear your stories. I was going to ask you why people call you the Jim Carrey, you know, with a PhD, but I think our audience can see why, because it's been pretty hilarious. But So besides reading, I know that's probably the number one habit we should have in our personal life, but what other habit do you think... Well, and staying curious, you just said that too. What other habit in your personal life do you feel like has been most helpful? I mean, what kind of habits should we have? Would you encourage I used to be in a mastermind with a great guy named Hal Elrod. Hal has a best-selling book called The Miracle Morning. And uh, I love that book for its simplicity. Any any of your listeners can read it in an hour. Uh, But he he says that you should always start off your day like – uh, he, he says like 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. You start off the day early and you spend an hour and he calls it Lifesavers. And so the SAVERS is an acronym uh, for what you do. You break up uh, your hour into six 10-minute chunks. And so the, the first S is in silence. So you start your day in silence. And so I'll start my day uh, reading the Bible. Uh, the A is for affirmation, and so that's uh, 10 minutes of feeding yourself with positive uh, information, lots of affirmative statements like, uh, you know, uh, I love the, the book uh, The Help where the uh, the maid, she always uh, holds the little white girl. It's an African-American maid, and she always holds the little white girl's face in her hands, and she always says, you is kind, you is beautiful, you is special. I, I, I'm like, wow, what a nice way to start your day with those kinds of affirmations. Um, the V in savers is for visualization. And so I have a, a bulletin board with pictures of things that uh, I want in my life to attract. Uh, the E is for exercise. And so I'll, I'll spend 10 minutes uh, doing push-ups and uh, lunges and things like that to get some blood flowing. The R is for reading. That's never a problem for me. So I'll just read something uh, positive positive. Uh, I have like little daily devotionals or uh, I love old uh, Paul Harvey stories, things like that. And then the final S, that's the only one where he kind of uh, uh, had to extend it a little bit. Uh, his word was uh, he put scripting, which is basically because uh, it starts with an S, but it's just a journal every day. So uh, you know, write to yourself how you want to start your day or maybe reflect on the day before. Uh, that's been uh, very helpful to me. And I love that it's simplicity. Uh, I mean, in your in your podcast, Rebecca, you have a great quote from Ben Franklin I've always loved, which he said, do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. You know, Jim Rohn, one of my favorite speakers of all time, he said, don't don't wish that it's easier. Wish that you get, you get more skills so yeah. you'll be more competitive. Um, uh, Harvey McKay, another great author, wrote uh, Swim with the Sharks Without Getting Eaten Alive. He always said, uh, I've known salespeople who were drunks, gamblers, liars, and thieves, but I've never known a successful salesperson who sat on his butt all day. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you, like you did something most people have never done, Rebecca. You started your own podcast. You've had what, like 250 guests. You've mm-hmm. reached uh, millions of people. I mean, that's something to be very proud of. Most people <laughs> do anything in their life. I'm serious about that. Most people. <laughs> do nothing in their lives except gripe about things. So uh, I want to surround myself with the doers. That's awesome. Well, thank you. You've been so kind. I have to have you on here again to feed my my psyche here for sure. But uh, I'd love to hear like what long-term goals that you have for yourself and how that's working into the legacy that you hope to leave, you know, that whole begin with the end of mind type of thing. Yeah, I mean, a, a person was just asking me the secret to happiness the other day. I said, I don't think that there is such a thing as happiness. I think uh, the secret is to being useful. So I, I, my my goal is always to have lived a useful life, to have had some meaning where I made the world a little bit better place. So my, my five-year goal is I want at least 1,000 U.S. school districts using Read Better in 67steps.com because I know that will get kids a lot more excited about school. The 10-year uh, goal for the program is – that it's used in 50 countries and I I become an educational advisor to governments. Uh, The 20 year plan is I want to be an eponym for reading. An eponym is like one of those words like Coke. 
for all symbolizes all the soda or jello for gelatin or Google, you know, uh, I want somebody, uh, you know, 25 years from now or 20 years from now say, does your kid struggle with reading? Well, why not Brussel it? You know, something <laughs> like that. that would be awesome. Uh, and then 25 years from now, I'd like to be so financially set that all of my money is going towards a tithe and uh, all of my time is just going to uh, serving others all the time. Uh, I, I think uh, at that point, if I get hit by a bus, I'll, I'll be in pretty good shape. <laughs> well, hopefully that doesn't happen because that would be <laughs> super sad. But anyway, before we say goodbye, because it's been so fun to talk to you, but we have to always come to an end, unfortunately. But before we say goodbye, do you have any final parting words for our listeners? And then give us your contact information, how we can get your book, Read, Lead, and Succeed, and then also find out more about your uh, Read Better in 67steps.com. You know, go ahead and, and let us know how to find that stuff for well, sure. Again, because um, Rebecca, you're hitting a really important audience. So uh, there's a lot of parents out there that feel overwhelmed, and I, I want you to to all understand it's it's not you. All of us are overwhelmed, and uh, I'm here to help. I mean, I don't know anything about fixing a car, <laughs> and so I take my car into the mechanic. I don't know anything about how to uh, live healthier, and so I have a trainer at the gym. Uh, the one thing I do know about is how to get kids who hate reading and who struggle with reading. I know how to get them to love reading. And so uh, I would encourage any of your listeners, uh, if they need any help, to go to readbetterin67steps.com. Let me help you help your child uh, learn how to read more, read better, and love reading. Um, I would love to have good, kind children around the world who make the world a better place, a more positive place. Uh, I think all of us as parents want our names to be synonymous with kindness and generosity. Um, and I, 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 a personal goal of mine is that, to have an education system that actually encourages children's curiosity through books based around their interests. Um, uh, one of my mentors was a guy by the name of Charlie Tremendous Jones, and he said, you're the same today as you will be in five years except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. And so the way I'd like to part with your listeners is uh, make sure you surround yourself with lots of positive people, listen to positive podcasts like this one, and uh, reward yourself by giving yourself lots of really wonderful books to read. And you can find out all kinds of other information by going to uh, readbetterin67steps.com and make sure all of you pick up your complimentary copy of the book Read, Lead, and Succeed by going to read leadandsucceed.com. And really, again, Rebecca, I just want to thank you for having me on your podcast. And uh, I really want to encourage you to continue doing what you do because you're having a real impact and you have a re really positive uh, uh, podcast that's going to reach uh, a lot of people that uh, that might feel overwhelmed right now. That's great. I really appreciate your time, too. It's been so much fun. I can see why, you know, like I said, they call you the Jim Carrey with a PhD. Um, again, we've been speaking with internationally acclaimed speaker and best-selling author, Mr. Danny Brussel. You can find uh, his information. Uh, pretty much you can find him anywhere. He's on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. But uh, definitely check out his website, readbetterin67steps.com. And also get a free book that he's offering, which I think is fantastic, at readleadandsucceed.com. But however, we're going to be sure to link all that information that we've discussed today on our website as well. But thank you so much, Danny, for joining us and helping to light our minds on fire on this really important topic of reading better. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rebecca. Keep on lighting those minds on fire. I love what you do. God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.